Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh out loud humor and hitting you between the eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants because here we go. So uh, I have a little bit of a challenge for you at the end of the day, and I'll tell you again, but after we've gotten to this point at the end of um, his discourse, it's his last one with his, his guys. This is an intimate conversation that they're having. It's his last words to them. I want you to go back, and I want you to read through all the red letters, because nothing he is saying, he's been saying the same stuff all along. And I don't know about you, but I kind of did that um, this morning. I, I was looking at what we're studying today, and then I wanted just to get in my mind things that he had said before so that they're just right here. And I went back, and I just, I started looking like, he's been saying this all along, over and over and over and over. And to be honest, I'm just now getting it. Do you feel like that? Like, now that we've studied this so long, and you look at his last words, I promise you, if you go back, it's going to mean even more to you now. Like, it's going to be more familiar. Almost like you too, as the disciples, have allowed these thoughts to sink in to where you're beginning to understand them more and more. Because honestly, who truly can understand the Trinity? This is hard stuff. Like, I'd, I would much rather teach you a story than this discourse, right? It's, it's difficult for us to understand so we can understand why they, they aren't quite getting it because even um, now with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and spiritual understanding, it's still too much for us to truly understand. Um, I had last week um, a gal come up after Tuesday night, first time ever showing up. So right here in John chapter I don't know what I was in, 13 or 14. And she was coming out of Mormonism. And so she had some questions for me. And her first question is, so who do you pray to? And I'm like, okay. And so we started a conversation about the Trinity and how that works and working through that because I'm going to tell you it is the foundation of what we believe. God operates in the triune. And we're gonna see that today. That's his essence. That's how he operates is as a trinity, the will of the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. And that's how our God operates. And um, it's... Uh, Mystery and awesome all at the same time. But one day we will see it with our eyes. We will experience that. So um, just keep reading the red letters over and over and over again. But let's pray. And we will get started in, back in chapter 14. Are you there? Are you ready for chapter 14? All right. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you that we can come together and study your word Lord, I thank you for the privilege of that, for me to um, seek you and understand you and stay close to you and be plugged in, and that, Lord, when I do this, it helps me more easily fix my eyes on you, 
the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, Lord, all through this chapter, it's relationship language. It is all about relationship. Um, It's all motivated in love, in relationship, that we will obey your commandments. Um, It comes out of a heart of relationship, and it's only accomplished in relationship with you. That's the beauty of it. So God, um, help me to teach things I personally don't truly understand. Uh, May the advocate be very strong in here today as we try to grasp um, these last words, which were the most important words that you desired to give to your guys before you left. And so may we be able to grasp those and apply those to our life today as we wait and long for our reunion one day. And Lord, my heart is, oh, come quickly. We love you. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so remember where we've been in 13 and 14, right? 13, he is basically exemplifying or showing his love for them as he acts out this parable of the washing of the feet. And he is showing them what it is gonna take to be his follower. And that is that they too will love each other as he has loved them. And so he's trying to give them that mindset. And in the middle of that chapter, in chapter 13, remember there were some concerning things. Uh, They've had that triumphal entry, but it ain't so triumphal right now. They're having this last dinner together. And although they have experienced the washing of the feet, they have also experienced some pretty serious information. And that is that one of them has betrayed Jesus, that the wheels have come off, that things have been set into motion that are gonna cause his death. And he says, I'm leaving you and you can't come where I am going. So we are gonna be separated And then Peter says, what? No, wherever you go, I go. I don't care if it even costs me my life. And he's like, no, matter of fact, before the rooster crows, you will deny me. I cannot imagine. I I haven't sat this week and thought, what is Peter feeling? I, I think my anxiety level, I would be so hurt too. Like what, why would you even think I would do, why would you think that about me? What have I done to display to you? I've always been like out there for you. I've always been all in. I've been a leader. Why would you even say that to me that I could possibly deny you? I think he's sitting there going back over everything that has ever, do you do that? When something happens, you just go back over every scenario trying to figure out how we ended up here, okay? These are human beings. This is Now they are men, so... I don't know, maybe they don't do that. (laughs) Maybe he's like, okay, whatever, I'm not gonna deny you. Um, But if it was a woman, we'd go back and chew on that thing for days. Like, what in the world are you talking about that I would betray? I'm so hurt, and he's baffled, and he's speechless, obviously, because he's not speaking in the next chapter, right? Um, That's gonna be Thomas and Philip. And so things, they are upset. 
This is not good. It is tense. And by the way, he has been predicting his death for quite some time. If you go back throughout the other gospels, we're given even more detail. Remember, John has written this because he has one purpose in mind, and that is for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in that, we have life. So he's placed things and chosen things for that purpose, unlike more of like Matthew, who wrote a chronological list of events of of all that happened. But if you go back through the synoptics, you're going to see he's been telling them, I am going to be turned over to the chief priests. I am going to be... um, injured. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to die. We even heard she's anointing me for my death. I mean, all of this has been coming that he has been forecasting his death. And now they are sitting in this and they are completely upset. And last week we saw that he is going to start to give them assurances in their distress. And what was the first one? Listen, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Like, we have been together. I know you're upset. Trust me. Keep trusting me. To believe in God is to believe in me. And to believe in me is to believe in God. Hang on and keep trusting me because you know what? In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, do you think I would have told you that I've gone to prepare a place for you? And if I've gone to prepare a place for you, I will come back for you and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. We talked about that last week, that that is all relationship language. This is not a mansion. It's not about square footage. All right, it's really, heaven isn't necessarily even about the streets of gold. The fact is, he is saying, you are distressed because we are no longer going to be together. Jesus was their everything. Do you understand that? He was their teacher. Any question they had, they went to Jesus. He was their truth, their knowledge. Protector, think about that. He was their provider. He was their everything. Their life was just to follow him. And now he is saying he is leaving them. And they are distressed. They're not worried about mansions or streets of gold. They want to be with Jesus. And so he is saying, no, we are a family. Trust me, at the end of this long road, there is a room with your name on it. I'm building it onto the house because we're family. For those who believed in him, they were called the children of God, not born by the will of man, but but from above. You are my family. Don't worry. No matter how long or dry or dusty the road is, at the end of the day, I promise you, you will be home with me as a family. And so he tells them that. And they are to hold on to that. We are to hold on to that. We talked at the end of last week about how the reason people don't look forward to heaven is I think they have a bad perspective of heaven. Do you remember? It means, oh, I think I still have it here. Hold on. 
Uh, New doesn't mean fundamentally different, but vastly superior. It's not that we're going to experience something that we have no familiarity with. Earth was made for man, and it was broken. Heaven has been made for us. It's being prepared for us. So it will be vastly superior. Can't imagine what it is like. So I don't need to worry that I have not fulfilled all the things here on earth to do because heaven is going to be vastly superior. Not to mention, why in the world would you want to spend eternity with someone you don't know? I think part of the problem with heaven or eternity or all of that is the fact that we don't know Jesus or have the intimacy with Jesus like the disciples did. So do we have a longing to be with him, to be connected with him? What is he like? I can't wait to be with him for eternity. There is a room with my name on it. And the fact is that the more we become intimately acquainted with him, the more we fall in love with him, the more we can't wait to see him. Have you ever had a long-distance relationship? I mean, what are you hoping for? (laughs) You can't wait to be together, right? You cannot wait to be together. And this time spent apart is talking and getting to know one another so that the times you're together are even uh, greater. And that is it. We should have this longing, but they had it. And they were sorrowful that they were gonna be apart. And so his first um, assurance is that, listen, at the end of this road, we will be together. And they understood that. So now we go into verse... So verse three says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. I love Thomas. Remember Thomas? Mr. Logic. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Right? I love him. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can, I can, I can picture Thomas. Jesus is sitting there saying this, and Thomas is like, looking at the other guys like, am I the only one? I don't know the way. How in the world can you know the way somewhere if you don't know where the destination is? That's why he, I mean, he's logic. And I love the fact that they are free just to speak it. Do you see the familiarity and the love in in this relationship? that these guys have, you can just say it. Can't your kids? Well, my kids sure could, right? It's a familiar, they can ask. They don't have to worry about appearing dumb or not. No, no they ask. And he's like, um, excuse me, since no one else is gonna speak about it, I don't know the destination. destination. And if I don't know exactly where the destination is on the map, I do not know the best way to get there. And he goes, yes, you do, why? Listen. He goes, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I wrote my journal a while back. I found it in regards to this, and I thought, that's pretty good. I mean, I don't know where I stole it from, but I I like it. He is saying, don't focus on a place. Focus on a person. Remember, He says, I will come back and take you 
to myself. So he's coming back to get you. The way is a person. So don't fix your eyes on a place, fix your eyes on a person, which made me think of fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. He's the only one that knows the way because he was the way. He accomplished the way. He made the way. Do you understand? He forged the trail for you. And so he knows. All you need is the, is the architect of the way. And he says, so I put, he knows the way. He made the way. He is the way. How? He's the truth. He is the revealer of truth. He is the living revealer or the light. Do you remember that? He is the light of the world. The light has come to shine and the darkness could not overpower. Here are the themes of John. He's the voice and revelation of God. He says every word I speak comes from who? The Father. He's literally called the word of God, the Logos, who put on flesh. He is, as John 1, 14 says, the incarnation of the glory of God, full of grace and truth. His words and deeds are the words and deeds of the Father. Chapter 5 tells us that. Chapter 8 tells us that. So not only is he the truth, he's the life. Remember what he told Mary? I am the resurrection and the life. I don't have life, which means it can be taken from me. I am life. If I can do it at the end, I can do it right now. Lazarus, come forth. I am life. The Father has granted me life, giving power. He bestows life on whoever he wishes, chapter 5, 21 says. Eternal life comes to only those who believe in him, John 3, 16, John 3, 36, John 5, 24. He is the way because he is the revealer of truth and he is the giver of life. He is the way. I put, you do not need to rely on yourself. I am the way. I will come get you. You do not need to live with uncertainty. Why? I am the truth. You do not need to live with the fear of death. Why? I am life. We don't need to rely on ourselves. We can't get there on our own. He made the way. We don't need to walk around living a life of uncertainty. There is certainty. Jesus is certainty. He is truth. And we don't need to fear death because he is life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. Thomas, no one knows the way. I am the way. Have you ever been given a hard time when you say that? Especially in, in this millennial world, they're like, oh, so narrow-minded. Yeah. Narrow. Small is the gate and narrow is the way. If you find it. I, I love talking to them about it because the fact is, many times they'll say, well, I think Jesus is a way. It's, it's, just, it's a, just another way. Like, I mean, there's lots of ways to get to one place. No. He's not the way. He's not a way. He's either... The way or no way? 
because that's what he said. No one can come to the Father except through me. So if you think there are many ways, you might as well just dump him because he has spoken that there's only one. And it makes total sense to me logically because if we're talking about the God of Israel, if we're talking about Yahweh, what is the biggest thing about the God of Israel? Hear, O Israel, this is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. This was the whole difference between Israel and all the other nations is that they had one God. So is it not logical to you that the way, there would only be one way to the one God? Not to mention, the biggest thing for me that I talk to them about is the brutality of the way convinces me it's the only way. Are you kidding me? If there was another way, I'll say, do you think God is love? And they automatically, oh, yeah, yeah, God is love, right? We don't even go to the just part, but God is love. Okay, do you think a loving God would watch his son be beat beyond recognition, falsely accused, and hung on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin if there was another way? The brutality of it convinces me it had to have been the only way to accomplish it. Another reason is because that way, substitutionary atonement, and all of the other ways, they're mutually exclusive. They're opposite of each other. This is what I was explaining to uh, the gal the other day. I've explained it to you a jillion times. Every other religion is based on our works. Every one of them. God is on a high mountain because they believe he is holy. He is lifted up. And that man's job is to work his way to God based on whatever code that religion gives, whatever the code is. The difference is in Christianity, we are given a code, not because our God ever thought we could live according to it, but so that we could see that we can't. The Ten Commandments, which is the code uh, narrowed down as much as possible to just the nature of God, was a mirror for us. It was written down so that we could see what we were actually created to be like, how it operates perfectly. And when we look at it, then we are made aware. It is a mirror. And by looking at the mirror, we see that we have junk on our face. It's called sin. The mirror does not wash it. The mirror just reveals it. We have to then make a decision to go to a sink to wash our face. So for us, the revelation to us that we have sin drives us to the solution, which is the what? The cross. Substitutionary atonement. The fact that somebody else paid our debt and set us free. So our code was given for that. But every other religion in the world, they are to operate by a code hoping that they can be good enough to please their God and all they have is a random hope because they truly are never given the plumb line for what is truly expected. 
And so they attempt to please God. Christianity is completely different. We know we can't make our way to God. The fact is that we are sinners, not because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Our nature is broken. And so God had to come down and become man. He came to us so that he could wash us with the cross. And then guess what he did? He went back to be with the Father. He made the way. He made the path. He is the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by this way. I made the way. And I, if you believe in me, don't worry. I will come back, and you will be where I am. I will bring you along that path. And so it is absolutely completely different. Those two things cannot exist together. And then on top of that, listen, Christianity is exclusive about the way, but absolutely inclusive about the who. Do you understand that? I'm like, why? Yes, there is one way because it cost him everything to forge that path. But everyone's invited. So what's the deal? Everyone is invited. He laid, is there greater love than this than someone laid down his life for his friend? You are invited. The problem is that your refusal to believe keeps you from coming. And so those are just some of the ways that I talk to, especially the younger people that have been fed this crap of relative truth and no absolute truth. No, there is absolute truth. His name's Jesus. I am the way. I forged it. I forged it with my own death. Why? Because I am the truth revealer. I am the one that lit up the scene for you to be able to see correctly. I am the one that lit it up so that you could see what God is like and in the process, see what you are like. I am the truth revealer. I am absolute truth. And I am life. Life is found in me. Believe in me and you will have eternal life. Those are big words. Coming out of Jesus's mouth, he's like, Thomas is like, I don't know the way. And he's like, trust me, you know the way. The way's looking right at you. So we've learned about a place, right? There's a room with your name on it. And we have learned about a path. He has forged the path. He is the path. And now we're about to see some power. Um, He says in verse seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Doesn't this, once again, back up what Jesus is saying about that he is the only way to the father, considering that he just made the statement to know him is to know God? Who can make that statement? You guys, he he has to be who he says he is or he's terrible. He is a heretic and a liar. There's no in-between. 
This is not saying that the disciples, by the way, did not believe in Jesus before this. They believe that he is the Messiah. They've said so. They believe that he is the son of God. They've said so. That he is the holy one of Israel. Listen, they believe. But this shows that they do not fully grasp the Trinity. Although Jesus has said it throughout his ministry, they do not fully understand yet what it means for Jesus to be in the Father and the Father to be in Jesus. And are we going to blame them for that? Are y'all dead? You sleep? Do I need to tell a story? I need to tell a joke? No? Right? From that, but then he says, but you will. It says, um, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. What he is saying is that from this moment, the, the cross, the cross is going to change everything. When he dies on the cross and they see that he has fully done everything under the authority of his father and he raises in three days, they are going to understand more. Think about it. Think about what Thomas Remember, he's the one asking the question. Think about what he's going to say to Jesus after he sees the risen Lord. He is going to touch the nail scars in his hands, and he's going to touch the side, and he is going to say, my Lord and my God. Aha. My Lord and my God. Not to mention, by the way, who wrote John? Who wrote 1 John? John, okay. Well, after, y'all are so smart. <laughs> after the resurrection, listen, listen to the words of John when they finally grasp it and, and they write it. This is how he opens up First John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Remember? The word, the logos, the light that was the life of men. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, listen to this, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. They got it. He is saying, listen, you... <laughs> If you would have known, if, if you had comprehend up till now that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, you would be getting this. But you, you don't, but you will. You're going to. You will get this. <laughs> Verse 8. So then Philip pipes up. And he says to them, okay, Lord, show us the Father. <clears throat> and, is an, <clears throat> and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Let me ask you something. How important is the Trinity? Well, it is so important that this is the main topic of his last words to his disciples because this holds, this explains everything. It is who God is. It's how he operates and they need to understand it. And they're really gonna need to understand it when he talks about the Holy Spirit. But I want you to think about our story. Don't ever leave the narrative. They're scared. Do you understand this? They're everything. The Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel is about to leave them. He's going to die. They don't know the ifs, the, the hows, the whys. The, he's going to die. They're going to be separated from him. And he said, you need to love one another like I have loved you because that's how people are going to remember that you belong to me. But I'm, I'm leaving. Now, hang on. Trust me. Because at the end, there's a room with your name on it. Right? And I will come back to you. And don't worry about the path. I am the path. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But what he is about to do is he is turning these disciples over. Do you understand this? When he dies and he raises again, he's turning the disciples over to the Father. And they're like, but we're used to seeing you. We, we can see you. Well, boy, that's help because does seeing mean you completely understand? No. Okay, then, okay, let us see the Father. Then, then let us see the Father. And listen, a lot of people have wanted, to, that, that's good to want to see God, to want to see the Father. Moses wanted to see the Father. And he got to see the goodness of God pass by him, right? He was their teacher, protector, provider, and everything else they needed. They had come to fully rely on him for their lives. And now he's going back to his father. Once again, they're going to have to trust God without seeing faith. Jesus is turning them back over to the Father, but this is scary because they don't think they know what he's like. They don't know him like they know Jesus. Lord, can you show us the Father? Can you calm our fears? And he's like, Philip, do you still not understand? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am in the Father, and he is in me. I speak what he tells me, and my works are his. To see the love of Jesus was to see the love of the Father. To see Jesus in action was to see the Father in action. He was sent so that God the Father could be known. Believe me, Philip. Believe me. I mean, this is Jesus talking to him. Has he ever told him anything false? He said, okay, well... If you can't believe my words, if you can't believe my testimony, at least believe what you have seen. Believe the works. Think about what you have seen. Who can do that? Who can do that? Who can demand the elements, the winds to stop? Who can heal? Who can walk on the water? Who can supernaturally 
bring about food? Who can raise the dead? Only who? God, right? God. I am God. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. No, uh, Tenney said this, no material image or likeness can adequately depict God. Don't put me in an image. <laughs> no image can depict God. Only a person can give knowledge of him since personality cannot be represented by an impersonal object. Let me read that again. Only a person can give knowledge of him since personality cannot be represented by an impersonal object. Think about it. We were made in the image of God. but We were broken. Jesus came to show us the perfect image of who God the Father is. It had to be a person. God in flesh, personality, knowing who he is. He is the logos, the truth revealer. The words he spoke were not his own, but given to him by the Father. Verse 12 says this, truly I say to you, <clears throat> which this is important because he says truly, truly. Like, look me in my eyeballs, this is serious. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That because is important. Why will there be greater works? Because I'm going to the Father. That's the kicker. I have to go to the Father before there can be greater works. I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, so remember. The disciples are troubled. Everything seems to be falling apart. One minute there was a triumphal entry and now Jesus says one of them has betrayed him and now he's going to leave. He's gonna go back to his father. He's been telling them that he will die, that he will be lifted up. Peter's found out that he will deny Jesus so he gives them assurances to hold on. At the end, they have a room with their name on it. They will be together again. The other assurance is that I will come and get you. I'm the way. I'm the truth revealer. I am life. Now listen, I know you're scared, but what I am telling you here is our relationship is not ending. Our relationship is not ending. It's just getting started. Now read that section. And you tell me if you don't think that's what he's saying. Whoever believes in me will also do the works I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Our relationship isn't over. Our work together isn't over. It's just beginning. You will continue my work. Whoever believes in me will continue my work. And you ain't seen nothing yet. It is not greater works in the sense of more sensational. Do you understand that? Like, read Acts. The disciples are going to do miracles. 
But are they going to do any greater miracles than Jesus? Can, can you do a greater miracle than have a guy come out of the tomb that's four days old? No. Okay, it's not about the fact that they're more sensational. It's greater in magnitude. What is happening is what he's talking about is what he was talking about with the wheat. If the kernel dies, right, what will happen? It's going to reproduce and multiply, right? And it's going to reproduce exactly what was put into the ground, they will be, and we're going to find out that he is in the Father, but they are in him, right? And so Jesus, in other words, Jesus is multiplied in you. And there are going to be greater works. We see that with, the, with Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, and they are uh, empowered with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people give their lives to Christ that day. That's more than they saw in the entire three years. And what is about to happen? Nobody's seen anything like it. He's like, our relationship isn't ending. Don't be sad. Don't be troubled. Listen, at the end of the day, there's a room with your name on it. Don't worry about how to get in there. You know the way. No, we don't. Yes, you do. I'm the way. I made the path. I am the path. I'm coming back to get you. At the end of the day, we are family you're a child of God because you put your faith in me. We will be together. That is secure, but we got work to do. And it's going to be greater work. But before it can be greater, I got to go back to the Father. Because it's going to be accomplished in you. That's, that's what's amazing. Tasker said this, the works of the apostles after the resurrection were not greater in kind than those of Jesus, but greater in the sphere of their influence. Think about the climax of the miracle of Jesus. What, what would you say was the climax? What was the big one? Lazarus, okay? So how are they gonna do more than that? Well, they're gonna do more than that. They're gonna do that in a great magnitude, not physically, but what? Spiritually, what they're going to do by taking the gospel is those who are dead will be made alive. They are resurrecting the dead. Do you understand that? The power of the Holy Spirit in us through the gospel message, that is what our job is, is to resurrect the dead by spreading the good news. And it should be a miracle like you have never seen. That is um, the magnitude of it. Just as I did everything in my Father's name, you will do everything in mine. Ask in my name, he says. In other words, distance does not mean a lack of involvement. Prayer fills the gap of the distance. Ask. I'm here. Our relationship isn't ended. You will have the ability to ask and to do these things in my name. How will greater works be accomplished? Because Jesus would continue his work through his prayerful followers who ask and ask and act in his name. Now, this has been completely misused, has it not? If you just ask in Jesus' name, it's like a blank check right? That's no. 
You know, if, if you just ask and you have enough faith, then God's going to give you all that you know. To ask in his name, what does that mean? His name represents what? Who he is. Who he is. So if we ask according to who he is and what his mission is, then he says, it will be given to you. Think about it. That's how he lived his life. He did everything according to the name of the Father. Everything he did was according to the name and the nature and the purpose and the intention of the Father. And so when he asked what? He got it. He knew the Father. He and the Father were one. They had that relationship. So he asked and he got He is saying, we have that ability, and we're going to have that ability because the Holy Spirit, he's going to explain that. But he's saying, if you ask in my name, if you are in me and I am in you, and you ask according to who I am and, and what I'm like and what our purpose is, he says, oh, it will be given. The work will continue, and it'll continue in you. Trench said this, to ask in his name or do anything in his name argues a unity of mind with his, a unity of aim and of motive. His name represents who he is. We ask in unity with that, his character and his aim. I don't remember Jesus ever asking for anything personally, like just for him. I don't don't remember that. I think we have so Americanized the scripture, it is unreal to me. Do you remember John eleven forty one through 42 when Jesus is praying before he tells Lazarus to come out? He basically says these things. Thank you that you have heard me. You always hear me, but I have said this so that they know, right? What was he doing? He wants them to hear the Father and the Son operating together. This is how it is. He knows God hears him because they're united in one. He knows. He knows God. he's going to get what he asks because he's, he's asking in the Father's name. He's united in character and in mission. He knows, but he needs us to know. He needs us to hear because that's how we are going to operate with him. He did everything in unity with the Father. And he says, if you ask me anything in my name, the Father will continue to be glorified in the Son through you. I love that. I, I read that for a long time. That, I was like, I don't know why that was an aha moment for me, but it was. The Father will continue to be glorified in the Son, but through us. Do you know what a privilege that is? God always works the same way. He never, he never changes. It is always the will of the Father. He always accomplishes everything through the Son. Creation and salvation. Accomplished through the Son. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. But in who? Us. What are we doing it just, I just sit back and go, what am I doing? I have the power of the Holy Spirit given to me for one purpose, 
so that I could be in Christ Jesus to have all of this security, but I could continue the work that Jesus came to do. I have that benefit of the power of the Holy Spirit in me who gives me that and that I can continue the work that Jesus did so that God might be glorified still through the Son, by the power, but through me. I get to be a part. I am the family of God. I'm a daughter of the King. It's my job. How much time do we spend tarrying on this road and praying for comforts? Here, no, there's a room with your name on it. That's your home, that's your family. You're passing through and you have a job to do. You get to still do it. And just because there's distance does not mean where there's a lack of involvement. There's more involvement. There's a, a greater intimacy because I'm going to tell you why. Because you're going to be filled. Listen to verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So all this is motivated in what? Love. If there's no love, there's no obedience. I'm going to tell you what. Fear, fear is not going to motivate you to follow Jesus. Love will. Love is the only motivator that will make you stay in the game. Fear will not motivate you for the long haul. It can motivate you for the short term, but it is love that keeps you in the game. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Let's talk about that just for a minute. Another helper. He's like, listen, I am fully aware you can't do this alone without me. So don't think I'm not aware of this. So I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give. Do you love that? He just told us, if you ask me anything in my name, I will give it to you. So how does he operate with the father? He says, I'm going to ask the father, which means they are what? One united. And he's going to give it to me for you. And so that goes to show us, by the way, what Jesus' job is now. Once he paid the debt for sin, right? The cross, that job of his, oh, it's finished. It's donezo. There is no other way. I am the way. That was it. I finished the job. But now he goes up and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He still has a job. What is it? He intercedes on our behalf. He asks the Father. We ask him. He asks the Father. Jesus is in the Father. We are in Jesus. Right? That, that is how it, and how is that possible? Well, because he's going to send another helper. That word another literally means of the same kind. Okay? Of the same kind. The exact one. I need another one. That same kind. And the word helper, which is not honestly the best. Um, is helper all in your Bibles? Helper? Counselor? What else we got out there? Advocate is one, is one of the best ones, okay? Advocate, because it actually comes with a, a, a legal sense, a legal term, um, an advocate. Comforter, um, 
helper or helper is good, but in the in the Greek, it, it meant uh, to strengthen, okay? So it's a powerful word, okay? It is like a lead, legal advocate. It literally means one who comes alongside, okay? And so he says, and so we're gonna send you one just like me, paraclete, all right? And so in other words, he's saying someone is coming that is just like me to walk alongside of you, to strengthen you, to lead you in truth, to be your advocate. I am sending that. And by the way, did you see how long he's going to stay? Talk to me about the eternal salvation of the saints. The spirit is given to you how long? forever. What do you think? He fills you up. And then when you make a mistake, it just sucked right back out. No, we are sealed. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to us. Why? Because we have been born of the spirit because we have been placed in Christ Jesus. And by being placed in him, right? He is in the Father. The Holy Spirit is a deposit showing this, that he literally is a deposit dwelling inside of us, that we are a family. We are in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. And that's how it works. So our works did not save us, and our bad works will not unsave us. It's not based on works. It is based on believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing that, we will be born in the Spirit. Now, will that produce? I do believe it'll produce, but I don't believe you're the fruit police. I believe everybody produces that has the Spirit, the Spirit produces, but I don't believe it's our job to inspect the fruit. Everybody has a different story and a different path. Dear Lord, if you inspected my fruits at some time, you'd be like, that sucker needs to be cut off and thrown in the fire. But it wasn't. It was there. And so he's, he's telling them about the advocate, and he says, the spirit of truth, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be what? in you, okay, the spirit of truth. It says the world cannot see him or know him. Why? I mean, it, doesn't it make sense to you in the sense that did the world know Jesus? No, they did not. Therefore, they, they could not, right? They did not, believe, they did not believe God incarnate, God in flesh, in front of their eyes, bringing the very words of God, living out a life that was flawless and doing works that in no way could you ever question they were from God. There was nothing else he could not show them or say to them as the revealer of truth and life, and they refused to believe. And so for they could not, and he became a stumbling block. If they could not or refused to see Jesus when the other one just like him, right? they will not be able to see the Spirit. They cannot see. 
Because the Spirit is given to us through who? Jesus. And so it says that they cannot. It says, but you know him. You know him. How do, how do they know him? For he dwells with you. They've seen the Spirit. They're familiar with the Spirit because Jesus and the Spirit are the same. Jesus has performed everything from the power of the Spirit. And so they're familiar. They know the Spirit. But not only are they going to know the Spirit, after Jesus rises from the dead and is seated, he's going to ask God on their behalf to not just send the Spirit to be with them, but be in them. Isn't it amazing how they didn't understand a whole lot of things and they literally could see God? We always think if we can see something, we'll get it. No, actually, they didn't fully understand until the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt inside of them. And so it's interesting, they knew Jesus, therefore they knew the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit, therefore what? We know Jesus. It's, it's really, it's, oh, it's so much to think about. And then he tells them in just a minute, we'll look at it next week. Listen, you're not gonna be orphans. You're not orphans. I'm not leaving you, right? I'm coming back. It reminds me, Hillary, man, when she got in elementary school, she, for some reason, she lost her noodle. And about third grade, she started getting separation anxiety like you've never seen. Lord, they just had to pull her off of me. And I would walk across the street to Phoenix Christian High School, and I'd cry the whole way because she was a mess. Like, she just, she couldn't. They are having some separation anxiety, right? And I would say to Hillary, 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 listen to me. I'm not leaving you. I'm just going to go teach these kids across the street. I'm going to come back and get you. I will get you. I promise. When the clock strikes, whatever, you will see my face. I will be there. He is assuring them they are so scared right now. They don't understand. He's like, there is a room with your name on it at the end of the day. Just believe me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And I will come and get you. You don't have to worry about missing it or not being able to get there. I am the way. I'm the only way. There's not another one. It's just me. I am the way. I will come and get you. And our relationship is not over. You don't need to see the Father. You've seen me. And we're going to continue to work. And it's actually going to be greater than you can imagine. But I need to go be with my Father for that to happen. And when I am with the Father... I'm going to ask him to send you the helper. And when he does, that helper will come. You know him because you know me. And he's going to live inside of you. And you will be in me as I am in the Father. And if we operate that way, Lord have mercy, you ain't seen nothing yet. So go ahead. Test the distance. It's not distance. It's a greater intimacy than you've ever realized in your life. Ask me. Ask me anything that is in my character, in unity with me, and purpose, and it will be given to you. You have it at your fingertips. I mean, these are some assurances. Don't we need those same assurances? Because I'm going to tell you what, we're living in a crazy world where it's just illogical. Makes me mad. 
but I need to hold on to these things. I have a job to do. And by the way, there are things going on in a minute, uh, right? He says, the, the ruler of this world is coming. I'm not gonna talk to you anymore because the ruler of this world is coming. What does that mean? It means that Judas is coming. But remember who went into Judas. It's the devil, right? So what we see is Judas, but what is going on is a cosmic battle underneath. Ain't nothing new under the sun. What we see going on in mankind, there is a cosmic battle going on. So how do we do? We stay close, close to Jesus, unified with him. We live according to the spirit. And we do exactly what he tells us because that's what he did. He did exactly what the father told him, when the father told him, the steps to take. And there's no way we're gonna be able to do that until we get into that next chapter, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You have to stay plugged into him or it's impossible. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you, oh, for the Trinity. I could ponder it and ponder it. And Lord, sometimes I feel like I don't feel the Holy Spirit. I can't hear him. I, I just wonder what all we've done to quiet him, to forget about him, to be able to hear his voice about what he wants us to do and which way we should go. And Lord, I think one of the greatest tools of the enemy is just absolute distraction and noise. So God, I pray that like you, I would take time away. I would quiet myself. I would listen. I would get to know you because everything I do needs to be united with your character. And if I don't know you, I don't know how to be united in character and purpose. And God, I can't do anything on my own. Lord have mercy, I'm a wretch. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would be powerful in my life and in the lives of these women so that we can see even greater things. I don't want revival to be over. I want to see times like Pentecost. I want to see the world come to know you. Um, I want many rooms built on, and I wanna be a part of it, and I wanna be able to rejoice that God got glory through the Son because of me, the power of the Holy Spirit. I love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.